Welcome to the Kaleidoscope of Possibilities, Alternative Perspectives on Mental Health. My name is Dr. Adriana Popescu. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and leader in the field of mental health, energy psychology, addiction, trauma, and empowerment. In this podcast, we will be exploring mental health from a variety of perspectives, from the spiritual to the shamanic and beyond. What if mental illness isn't everything we think it is? What if everything we see as a pathology is actually a possibility? What else is possible with mental health? Hi everyone, Dr. Adriana Popescu with you today with another episode of Kaleidoscope of Possibilities, Alternative Perspectives on Mental Health. I'm really excited today to have with me Dr. Craig Weiner. He has spent over 35 years working in the healthcare field. He is a director of the EFT Tapping Training Institute and currently serves as chair of the board of trustees for EFT International. He is a certified and accredited advanced EFT practitioner, mentor, and EFT master trainer of trainers. In addition, he is a trainer of Matrix Reimprinting and a founder of the Tapping Out of Trauma Continuing Education Seminars, of which I can highly recommend myself having taken them. Along with his wife, Alina Frank, they co-produced the film, The Science of Tapping, and are the creators of the podcast, EFT Nation. He is profoundly interested in the underlying emotional and physical connections that stem from adversity and trauma, as well as the facilitation of the transformation of trauma into post-resilience and post-traumatic growth. More information can be found at EFTTappingTraining.com. Welcome, Craig. Hey, great to be here, Adriana. Yes. I've been looking forward to this one. I know, me too. You've been on my list for a long time, actually, um, because I did as a psychologist um, who learned about tapping many, many years ago. I believe I was at the, I don't know, second or third ASEP conference back in mm. like 2000 wow. and wow. Was first introduced to EFT and all kinds of energy psychology techniques. And it just profoundly altered the course of my own life and my professional life as well. So I'm really excited to now be sharing all of this information with the world in, in these wonderful ways, like through podcasts and, and videos and YouTube and social media and all. No, thank you for doing it and getting the word out there. It's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd love to start as I do every episode with finding out more about our guests. Tell us about yourself, how you came to do this kind of work. Mm-hmm. So I came through the more somatic world, right? I, I was interested, I, um, young 20s, landed in Berkeley um, and just got involved in body work and hands-on manual and somatic work and ended up going to chiropractic school and I've been a chiropractor for over 30 years. But you know, there's always been that intrigue of the mind, body, spirit, energy, connection, all, all, you know, more holistic complementary approach. And so as a chiropractor, I've, always been you know had educational programs and guest speakers so i've always been interested in all different kinds of healing probably just like you um specifically with regard to this work about 12 years ago i heard about this eft tapping and to be honest when i first heard about it it was actually through joe mercola's website back in the day and um and i thought it was a bunch of Yes, I, you know, there's no one thing and there's no, you know, I get approached all the time from people with modalities and vitamins and nutritions that do everything. And I was like, yeah, one more thing that does everything for everybody and whatever. Okay, not interested. Um, 
And so I was skeptical at the beginning, tapping on the face and this, that, it's like, I thought it was ridic kind of ridiculous. And, he, and I was pretty open-minded about lots of alternative healing, but for whatever reason at the time, it just felt like it wasn't legit. Mm -hmm. So um, now look at me, right? So I say, you know what? <laughs> when anybody says, oh, they're so skeptical, I'm like, don't worry, they may end up being like a professor and tapping, right? So, so whatever. So um, what I wanna say is, I an opportunity came to present something different at my clinic. And I said, you know, I, that wasn't fair. I really didn't know what that was. And I didn't give it a fair shake or look at. And so I started reading some of the research, which intrigued me. And um, I invited, I looked in, I live on a rural island, Woodby Island in Washington, off the coast of Seattle. And I looked at anybody around here do this. And there was one person that did. I invited them to the office. We spoke, did a demonstration. I'm like, okay, this is really interesting. I'm starting to like get more interested in here. Um, changed the course of my life. We ended up getting married and we treat, teach and train together. And, you know, so Alina's my wife and she was the one that really introduced me. And, um, you know, I brought more of the science background, a little bit more critical thinking with regard to, but how does this work and, and how can this be doing? What, what's the mechanism of action here? And, but the, I mean, I guess the, the point is, is that while I was skeptical, when I started to look at how does this thing possibly affect health conditions, physical health conditions, mental health conditions, um, phobias, addictions, physical pain. Um, and, and I started to look at, well, the one thing that all of them had in common, and the one thing that all of them had in common was a stress response to whatever that object was. And so if I started to look at, if we can reduce the stress response to whatever you point that cone of light at, whatever you pointed at, then maybe it can have an effect on my relationship to that thing whether it be to that trauma, that, that difficult relationship, that work stress, whatever it is. And so I started to have a lens to be able to see it through a possibility of how that might be altering my relationship to that. Mm -hmm. My future worry about something, my past stress or traumatic response to that. And, and so that's literally what I started to understand and have a lens to look at it through and then started to have my own experience with it personally and then started to have the responses I learned how to do it with clients over time after training and and um, one thing has led to another and here I am you know doing what I do so uh, I mean that's where I started mm -hmm. sometimes I see a lot you know people come to EFT for a variety of reasons maybe it's their therapist um, did it with them uh, maybe they read a book or they were on online um, some people found it because of their own healing. Some people are healthcare practitioners that are looking at non-pharmaceutical ways of working with different conditions. So people find EFT in their own way. Um, and, you know, it's just my mission to make sure that the experiences they have are, are solid and valid and working with practitioners that are well-trained and, and just keeping up the standards for that. Yeah, yeah. so like that. Wonderful. Yes. Um, I came actually to this work through my own health issues. You know, I was um, at the time that I discovered energy psychology and like we were talking about before, went to my first conference right. of, of the energy psychology folks, the ASAP, uh, the Association for Comprehensive Energy Psychology. Uh, I was really, really sick at the time with what turned out to be Lyme disease and chronic fatigue syndrome. And Western medicine, at, because I was also so deep into it at that point, they, I wasn't even 13, it was 13 years before I even got a correct diagnosis. Right. So Western medicine really had nothing for me and I had to seek alternative therapies. And so I started with chiropractic, 
acupuncture. My acupuncturist then introduced me to something called NET, neuroemotional technique, which yep. similarly is working with the meridian system in the body, um, was right. also developed by a chiropractor. And that really made a difference. And what I noticed was as I started, you know, working through my own unresolved traumas from my childhood and my own stress, because I'm also a student in grad school at this time, right? So super stressed out all the time in a difficult relationship, all the things. And so I noticed that when I would have those treatments, I would feel better. And then the herbs and the homeopathy and the other things we were doing to heal the Lyme disease would become more effective. So right. when I went to my first ASAP conference and learned tapping, I already knew there was value in this because of the work I had been you know, started doing. So, but back then we talked about it really differently. Like it really was more the Eastern kind of um, approach of what we knew from 5,000 right. years of Chinese medicine. So could you tell us a little bit about the traditional kind of perspective on stimulating acupuncture points to create shifts in the energy flow in the body? Yeah, I, I would say because where EFT came out of historically um, drew from its origins prior to that from thought field therapy, which is the work of Roger Callahan and Dr. Diamond. And so when we started to look at um, its foundation, of course, the foundations go back much thousands of years because what that work was doing was combining for the first time, well, combining in the way that it was, the look through a Chinese medicine perspective of the different um, points in the body that were sensitive. Um, we're starting to have a lot more evidence about the physical nature of what these actually points are in the body, starting to actually see dye related concentration points in these um, acupoints in the body. So it's becoming much more validated than people even thought it was um, prior to these anatomical structures that are running through the body. And but it was often spoken through an energetic lens and through a meridian Chinese medicine lens. And so Dr. Callahan started noticing that when he was employing his interest in Chinese medicine and the meridian endpoints, that that combined with prep, the stimulation of the points, not through needles, but through finger pressure, stimulation, mechanosensory pressure. Um, when he would do that combined with different things that he was having people tune into with their thoughts and emotions and feelings and beliefs about things, that he was getting amazing results. Mm -hmm. And so we draw from the lineage that we come from. Right? We draw from thousands of years of Chinese medicine and we use with the tapping, the stimulation. Um, so there is when we stimulate through this tapping, there's a piezoelectric effect. In other words, there's a transduction of a change from mechanical pressure into electrical stimulation that causes nerve transduction of, of being able to send nerve signals through that then affect the the brain, which then affect our autonomic nervous system. So it really is a whole body approach. And when we are tuning into thoughts and feelings and you know felt sense of how we're experiencing about some topic, we can start to look at the real changes physiologically that are happening in the bodies we're doing this. So we've now had, I think there are five functional MRI studies that have been published. We're starting to look, you know, we've seen several multiple studies of significant changes in cortisol production that happen as a result of tapping within a short period of time. We see brainwave changes. So we're looking at this whole body approach at how, as we tune in and focus on something and simultaneously, we're creating like a, a, um, 
kind of a counter conditioning. We're creating at the same time that we're tuning into something stressful, we're also simultaneously tuning into something that through amygdala deactivation, et cetera, we're starting to get a decreased stress response that then is tied to what normally is a stress target. And we start to shift or you know, rewire in, in a not technical sense, but in other words, we're rewiring our relationship to that object, to that thing that normally causes, causes us to move into a fight or flight sympathetic response typically. And so now I all of a sudden think about that and it just feels kind of detached. It feels kind of neutral. That thing that I have a phobic response to or whatever that is, is like, I don't know, kind of is what it is. And I'm not feeling it in my body and I'm not thinking those same thoughts and I'm not having those same emotions. Same emotions. So it starts changing in a real mind body approach to different conditions and habits and patterns that people have developed over time. Yeah. And, and because I pretty quickly, because I was, you know, a student in grad school and I, and I wanted to apply these tools that I was learning, you know, to my clients and was very fortunate to have within limits, you know, supervisors who allowed me to do some of that work. Um, I really found that it, it really does create change for people. But when I would try to explain the mechanism of how it works before we had all this kind of science data yep. now that we do it was hard and it was a hard sell people thought yes. woo woo we i mean i'm i'm even in california and people still thought woo woo weird I, I don't know what that is this feels stupid i don't want to do that and there was a lot more resistance you yep. know 20 15 20 years ago i noticed yeah i mean i think you know things change slowly right and we start to look at over you know 25 years or so now people have started to hear a lot more about it. The research has supported it. I see, you know, in our trainings now, probably a solid third, maybe even sometimes up to half of the students in the class are social workers, psychologists, um, LMHCs, et cetera. And so we're seeing this validated and, and in the research people go, oh, well, you need some research for them. Like clearly you haven't looked because clearly we have over 150 published studies. We've got, I think 60, randomized controlled trials. We've got at least three meta-analyses, you know, for the effectiveness of PTSD for depression and anxiety and PTSD, um, growing evidence for work for physical pain. So, I mean, these things, it has a, a much stronger body of evidence, not saying it doesn't need more, not saying it doesn't need larger clinical studies and more publications, because we do, um, but it's not willy-nilly and it's not minimal either. It's more than actually many, types of psychotherapeutic interventions that have much lesser volume of research. So right. or and the results, the statistical results are more powerful than uh, antidepressants and some of the medications that, you know, they're basically realizing, I don't know, I've seen or heard of studies where it's like primarily placebo effect. It's not actual, you know, um, effect sizes that the, you know there's anyways i'm not going to debate like the whole medication thing because i think medication right. have their place in all of this exactly but sure. people take it for granted that because the medical establishment says that these things work and that they're helpful therefore people take them and and people don't do their research and they don't realize no. there's a huge body of evidence so i often will cite this this and, you know if you want to talk about it you know I, that harvard medical school research study Okay, so yeah, so you know, David Feinstein speaks a lot about this. I, I want to have a caveat with it is people sometimes will use that study as an EFT study. It's not an EFT study. It was actually an acupuncture study. 
Yeah. Right. And so it's an acupuncture study that, you know, strongly showed that the stimulation of certain acupoints decrease amygdala activation and the amygdala is part of the midbrain that is very involved with um, our fear response in different situations. Right. And so it showed the relationship between these endpoints that are really highly sensitized um, and have a neurological response that have a limbic response in the brain that decrease activation, that decrease our fear and autonomic response. And these are similar points that we're using, we're stimulating just not through needles, but through pressure. Um, so that is one of the studies that is, you know, goes to support why are we doing, why are we stimulating these particular places in the skin? And there have been, and there have been several studies that, you know, somebody might say, well, you know, maybe it's just a shit, you know, it's, um, it's not necessarily that point, but we've done sham points that don't show nearly as effective as the points that are being stimulated and the points that are stimulated are done on the, you know, I may as well show them the primary points are on the side of the hand, on the top of the head, at the beginning of the eyebrow, outside the eye, underneath the eye, underneath the nose, on this crease above the chin, these collarbone points, and under the arms. So these are the primary points, and they're easy to access. Um, they're, um, yeah, so they're easy to access and they're effective. Yeah, I like I like citing that study when I'm introducing it to a group of people because, like, I use this at the drug and alcohol rehab where I work. And what I have found is that when I now lead and introduce the topic with the science. And I talk about Harvard Medical School did a study on acupuncture and basically validated that, yes, you know, there is something happening when you're stimulating an acupuncture point and it's doing something to your brain. And, you know, and I talk about the MRI studies and sometimes I show um, Dr. Peter Stapleton's TED Talk because she did, you know, has done a lot of work with food addiction. And so then the clients see that and they're like, wow, that's amazing. Or I tell them about, you know, some of her work and it's wonderful that the science has has been catching up, that we have technology now where we can measure, you know, differences before and after using EFT um, and that we're seeing that shift is happening. Stuff is happening in the body and in, and in the brain. And that's really wonderful. I think we're in a much um, stronger position now to be able to introduce people to these techniques. I, I agree, especially people that are wanting that kind of scientific validation. Um, to be able to have a grasp that, oh, okay, there's a way this happens. Um, we're starting to see not just what we call subjective evidence, you know, people's experience, which is very important. Let's not minimize a person's experience of their fear or phobia or their, you know, or their emotional intensity or their shutdown, et cetera, but being able to see um, data and objective evidence of that is, is important as well. Yes, exactly. Um, so how did you get drawn into working more specifically with trauma? Because I would consider you a specialist that, you know, using EFT with trauma. How did that come about? That's interesting. Um, I'd say several, several fold. Um, one of them is I wasn't at the beginning. Um, and I had a friend actually that I co-teach with Suzanne Fragile, who, Fragile, who was a, um, is a trauma expert. And we just ended up in these fabulous conversations. And you know, trauma is like the thing that you don't know, you don't know till you know it, and then that's all there is, right? It's like, a, um, you know, Alice in the Wonder Hand, like you go down the rabbit hole, and then how can you not have understood the impact of it? I mean, I had my own experience of, of trauma growing up and nothing compared to many others, 
But I remember um, very clearly, I was actually reading on an airplane, uh, Bessel van der Kock's book, you know, The Body Keeps the Score back years ago when it first came out. And I remembered reading a line about the importance of safety. Okay. So I have to pause this. I apologize. That's okay. There's our dog outside the door that my wife let out that it's not stop barking and it's, I'm gonna <laughs> let her in the place. Stop barking until he gets let in. No worries, we'll pop okay. it here. <laughs> Can you please make the cut here? Vivi, say hi to Adriana. Hello, yes. hello. Okay, you've now seen and heard of me. Yeah. I love you too, but no more barking. So once you're in here, you can go in and out, okay? What a cutie. My little furry one, my little bed. <laughs> I, I was even managing to like mute myself in between and it was like, it wasn't stopping, so. No, 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 no worries. Okay, yeah. okay. okay, all right, so we're good now. Uh, I lost track of where we were, though. In our you may as well, I guess you better just probably best to start off with a question about trauma. Yes. Um, so, so you really, I really consider you an expert in treating trauma. And so we are looking at like how, how you came to, to specialize in this. And you were telling us a little bit about, um, your child, your own childhood and, and stuff like that. And, you know, how, how, what drew you, I guess, to working with trauma with EFT? Yeah. Well, I mean, the one thing about EFT is the beauty of EFT is EFT goes very deep, very quickly. The risk of EFT is that it goes very deep, very quickly. So the thing with EFT is that you might be tapping into literally um, why I don't feel comfortable with a particular person or place, or I have this fear or anxiety or whatever it is. Um, and of course, there's my recent experience with why that's happening. And I don't know, it just doesn't feel right or it's uncomfortable and da, da. And there's something about EFT, and this is really, I don't have an answer for why, but it does go to the root of that very quickly, somehow tapping into the way that we do and the memories. All of a sudden, people start very quickly thinking about, you know what, this is reminding me of a time that I felt this way when I was very young. And suddenly you are finding them connecting to past experiences and memories very, very quickly with EFT, which is great for getting to the roots of things, but also can also sometimes happen too fast, too quick. So it needs to be well facilitated, monitored in a trauma-informed way. Um, so on one hand, there was the direct experience of doing EFT and seeing how quickly people started revealing deeply personal information and, and, and historical information and earlier adverse events and traumatic events, et cetera, you come back to childhood easily. Um, so there's that piece. For me personally, um, my relationship with Suzanne Fagel, who I co-teach with, as with many more years of trauma and somatic experiencing work and a lot of other worlds, conversations as we study DFT together help me to appreciate it more. And the thing about trauma, I mean, you know, we talk about trauma now, but eight to 10 years ago was a completely different conversation. Now it's like everybody knows what PTSD stands for. Everybody has some concept in the public of, um, you know, they either know about the ACEs studies or they know about trauma it's in different ways. It's become much more publicly aware. I mean, it's the work of 
Bessel van der Kock, and it's the work of, you know, Stephen Porges. And there's so many people out there that Peter Levine that are reaching the masses now and not just psychotherapists, for example. And I remember just from a personal experience reading uh, Bessel's uh, book on a plane once and talking about how important the feeling of safety was for any kind of healing. And I started to like think about and go through my life and kind of recapitulate pieces of my life where I didn't feel safe for the reasons that I didn't feel safe. And I started to realize that my career was based on providing safety for people. And of course, that came because of ways that I didn't feel safe when I was young. Um, that it was just a natural inclination to do that. And I, as I started to like dive into deeper and deeper and deeper, um, the recognition and importance of what it's like in one's body to feel safe and what that meant and how that felt or how that didn't feel. And all I can say is like, once I realized the significance of that personally, professionally, like just worlds just started to collide, holes started to open, authors and, and presenters start, and everywhere I looked, all there was was trauma or the idea, if, if I look at something through a trauma-informed lens, it explains everything. I mean, not everything, but but it gives an insight into every condition, every faulty relationship, every every way that people are anxious or scared or able. Or I remember um, reading Gabor Mate, who is now getting the recognition that he should as an author and etc. And so he had once said, it was before I was ready to hear it, trauma affects everything we do, every decision we make, down to the, what clothes we put on in the morning. And I remember hearing that the first time I think, well, that's a little bit overstated, don't you think? I mean, I like this style until you start to realize, well, why do I wear loose clothes or tight clothes or brightly colored clothes or very dulled down clothes or very, so, you know, how we experience the adversity and the trauma that we experience shapes how we see ourselves, how we see the world, what's safe to do, what's okay, what choices we make, what careers we choose. So it's, um, so trauma is just endemic um, in our society. And of course, some people must worse, most worse than others, but um, having a trauma-informed lens in our schools, in our therapeutic, um, whatever choices that we make, promotes or doesn't promote a feeling of safety, which then allows or doesn't allow healing to happen. So I think that trauma-informed lens really kind of doesn't end in our understanding of how we treat people and how we treat ourselves and who we are in the world. It just, um, yeah. So yeah, it kind of became my world. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, likewise. I mean, I kind of feel the same way these days. Uh, and one of the things that working with the tools of energy psychology. I mean, I do a lot of EFT, but I also use some different modalities also. But right. what it all taught me was to go for the root, for the root cause. And that really present time, whatever the present time stressor or trigger is, it pretty much always goes back to something <laughs> earlier, right? Yep. Some original event, some, yep. you know, series of a trauma or a series of traumatic events, whatever. Yep that it's really not even about the present time thing. If you can oh. get back to the or, the original stuff, um, I like your little assistant there in the background. He's, <laughs> um, he's monitoring and he's monitoring, yes. 
Um, I just think getting back to the root and, and what so many times in working with clients, I find that if we heal that original unresolved trauma wound, whatever mm. it is, the core beliefs that came out of it, whatever, when we go to the root, we are able to collapse so much more of the subsequent trauma and the person doesn't keep getting, like you said before, it changes their relationship with whatever the present time trigger is. And then they don't seem to get as activated anymore. They don't get bothered by their partner in the same way or feel, you know, my specialty with addiction, feel the compulsion to have to use drugs or alcohol or something exactly. to numb the, that pain that's sure. still there from a million years ago. Yeah. I mean, like Gabra said, it's like addiction isn't the problem. Actually, addiction is the answer for the person with the addiction because it's the one thing that will relieve the suffering, albeit temporarily, of the problem. One of my colleagues um, that I, I, I use all the time, I love, she said, you know what? The thing ain't never the thing. And it's like, you nailed it. The thing ain't never the thing. Like, right. it's, this is how it's showing up right now, mm -hmm. but that's not where it started. And when I think that's a really important part because we always look at the object of our anger, annoyance or sadness or grief or whatever right now is valid. So let's not make it's not. However, the reason it's so big the reason it's so large, it takes on so much space and intensity is because there's a history behind it. Correct. And so EFT is kind of working our way back like the Christmas lights back. The, the one thing that I'm cautious of, however, in training practitioners, et cetera, is the desire to get to the root can be so strong for any therapeutic practitioner that they sometimes jump there too early before the person has the capacity and the resilience to be able to work with that gently. So, you know, as Suzanne, my, I, I try to give credit to people around me. So Suzanne says, and I love this, uh, you know, when working with trauma, you only want to go as fast as the slowest part of you feel safe going. Right. So, you know, my kind of nails on a chalkboard moment is when somebody asks too early in a therapeutic relationship. So when's the first and worst time this happened to you? Like, let's, let's go down and let's like get to it. And their ability to be able to work with that safely um, isn't there and they flood and they have react and it's too intense and they don't come back because it was too much too quick. So I'm all for working towards getting to the root of the problem, but in a gentle, safe way where we can work on, you know, with practitioners. How is that? Okay, we know that that's an issue. How's that showing up as a problem in your life now? Because if it's not, we don't necessarily need to dig up a traumatic past just because they have one. If it's not showing up, I mean, especially for non-licensed practitioners more than any, because we train and teach both, is you think it's a problem. You tell me there's a history of this, but is it still a problem? How does it still affect your life now? How is that affecting the choices you make? How is it affecting the <clears throat> influencing the habits and the patterns that you have? So you work gently and recently and future oriented, get a therapeutic result with that first and then start to teach them how to be able to self-regulate. So doing all these things up front and then starting to work your back, depending on your scope and depending on safety and depending on your experience and skills and all of those things, and then start to work your way back. And then ultimately, yes, getting to the root of where something started is important. Sure. Just at the right place and time. Thank you for saying that. And I really, you know, there's a few things I want to riff off of what you said, because I have taken your trainings before and, and have been, you know, so grateful that you do address the trained or licensed mental health professional versus a, a non uh, paraprofessional, whatever we want to call it, coaches, yep. 
other right. types of healers who don't maybe have the mental health training that those of us that are licensed or, you know, would have. I think yeah. that's really important that you make the distinctions and you talk a lot about scope of practice and what is okay or not okay for a practitioner to do when it comes to trauma work with EFT. It's really important and because ultimately it's the safety of the client, isn't it? Right. And I'm not going to say I, I'm not a licensed mental health care provider. Have I worked with people with licensed diagnoses, I, or excuse me, with mental health diagnoses? Sure, I have. But in collaboration with somebody, I'm not the person as an unlicensed mental health care provider that's working on somebody's PTSD. And when the soldiers start crashing through the roof, I'm not the person they should be coming to. Right. I'm really clear on that. However, they might be having a you know, some stress at work and, you know, they can't, you know, feel comfortable asking for a raise or whatever that is that's showing up in their life that I can work with. But I'm also aware that even working on a procrastination, I can't make this change issue can bring up serious concerns, et cetera. So I want to make sure that I'm working in collaboration. I want to understand, you know, I have to, I do refer clients away that feel like, you know what, this is bigger than my scope. But then again, I also, at the same time, the caveat, and I say this only coming from my psychotherapist colleagues and friends, many of them said, you think we have trauma training and we didn't get any. So being licensed doesn't make one trauma informed or trauma trained either. That is true. Yes. However, there are different skill sets they have about how to manage and work with them with other skills. So, you know, the work that we're doing, you know, trauma informed DFT, whether you're licensed or unlicensed, um, should make you more skillful for working with those. And then you have to bring scope of practice and skill decisions based on that as well. Yes. And then you had, you said you had said something else that I wanted to highlight as well, because I like to do this also both in private practice and at, uh, with my work at the rehab is what I would call like the, the scaffolding to be able to do this deeper work is to teach people the self-regulation, the emotional self-regulation. Sure. And, and we can use EFT uh, among other, you know, many other techniques and modalities sure. um, to help people just calm their nervous system, right? Yep. Get out of, you know, that um, when we talk about the zero to 10 scale, when you're in that, I call it the red zone, when you're like mm -hmm. eight, nine, 10, you're in this full blown fight, flight, freeze or panic or whatever, that we need to be able to have tools to get out of that. But we also have to start, I feel like even that's a muscle to, to build to get to eight, nine, ten. Let's start at like four or five. When your stress level is a four or five, and you yeah. just have day to day stressors, what about you know practicing this tool as a way to calm down, and then building up to being able to use that tool in a moment when your brain gets hijacked by this fear response? Yeah, that's a great distinction. So, you know, when I work with my clients, part of that is always, you know, for me, it's always teaching them EFT for self-regulation at different levels. So, you know, one of some of the things I hear is like, okay, when you really have a panic, start tapping. I'm sorry, when we're in that meltdown place, we're like the least likely to remember our tools. Yes, exactly. Right. I mean, that's, I mean, including me, like that's the last time that I'm going to have that muscle necessarily to remember what to do. So, giving homework to teaching people to just silently tap as a starting place until they start to understand how to use the words um, more accurately and more effectively and starting to do it proactively like okay so let's say we're working to um, 
you know, it's really important. Let's, let's bring it back to you in the field of addiction. So not when they're in a full blown attack, but at the beginning of a craving. Yes. Like I'm just, or they know that it, you know, at 10 o'clock is when that starts to really come up. Start tapping at eight o'clock. Yeah. Okay. Even though, you know, it's only a little bit and, and I'm scared I'm going to start to get this craving, mm -hmm. you know, in a couple hours and I won't be able to control it. Right. right. So if we can start to develop a practice um, prior to being in those higher elevated states mm -hmm. and have it be, just like people have a breathing practice or a meditation practice or et cetera, you don't wait till you're, you know, having a panic attack to start meditating. Right. It's like I roll out of the bed in the morning. I'm going to go ahead and start my practice, whatever that is. Thinking of an EFT yeah. tapping practice um, when you're not at that heightened state is a great idea of to start building that muscle and the knowledge that, wow, I really feel better and more relaxed and more regulated afterwards. Yeah. Well, and that's a key piece. And I learned that when I did um, a course with Dawson Church, you know, it's like having the people write down their suds level before and after so that they can really get that wow i changed the way i feel i i right. changed the way i thought i'm thinking about the situation this works like that's yep. me dealing especially with like a lot of disempowered folks i mean yep. by the time i see them they're in pretty bad shape a lot of the times um giving them that that confidence like wow i can change the way i'm thinking and feeling and i don't need yep. to the drug or whatever to do it for me is super empowering and really goes a long way to building self-esteem and people are more likely to keep using their tools you know if you can get them that confidence in that this stuff works and i can make yep I, and that's why i think it's so important early when you're working with a practitioner working on your own to um the importance of using eft with specific examples um the idea of tapping on all the depression in my life, and this is, you know, this is the problem with what I'll call the, um, the ubiquitousness of, EFT, of tapping out there um, on YouTube and everything and every other social media. Everybody that's ever learned tapping now starts creating videos of their tapping style. Right. And, um, and it's no longer has a clinical basis anymore. And, and I'm not gonna say that they can't feel better, but me tapping on, even though my, my life is terrible and my childhood was the worst and I just can't make any decision, you may get some temporary relief, but you also may totally flood and overwhelm yourself because it's connected to so many ways in which you dislike yourself, hate yourself, et cetera. So, you know, one of the real key things that we teach practitioners is the importance of specificity. It's like, okay, think of one time that you're feeling not able enough or, or not good enough about whatever. Mm -hmm. I can, you know, I can hold the possibility of that experience of minimizing how I feel about that. And we use the analogy a lot of times in, in the EFT world, um, tabletops and table legs as a useful metaphor. Like the tabletop is this issue of me not feeling good enough or smart enough or whatever enough. Is it? Easy example. Tapping on the that whole tabletop of that belief of that concept of that mean is um, is not likely going to collapse it or really cause any real change in it. So what we have to do is we look under the tabletop and we look at what's holding up this tabletop as something that's in my life. And oh, there are these like legs that are connected to the ground. And if we look at those legs, those legs are the experiences that we've had that reinforce or provide the evidence for why I don't feel whatever enough about something. And so effective EFT is going to look at, all right, let's take one of those legs of one time that makes me feel that way, tap on that. And as I start to just knock down a few of those legs, it destabilizes the entire table so that the table can collapse. 
we don't have to tap on every single time in our life that we didn't feel good enough or smart enough or whatever right. enough because right. you know then we'll mean EFT therapy world forever. So there's this thing called the generalization effect that happens if we knock some of them down, mm -hmm. then we can still collapse it without having to tap on every experience we ever had of that. Right. Um, and that's useful for people to know. Yes, yes, and more specific, the better. I think that's the hardest thing yep. for when people are using it with words is to, to really teach people how to get as specific as possible. And if they are using those scripts, the more generic scripts or videos or something, I always tell people that's fine, but change the words. If they don't fit for you, make sure you Thank find you. words that fit your unique situation right. experience of it. Yeah. It makes it impossible. Like somebody, if you were to ask me, oh, can we just do some tapping on this interview? And now you want me to tap with, you know, the thousand people that are listening right now and their relationship to their self-esteem or whatever. One person had this experience. One person had you know, grew up in a foster home, somebody else had a sexual trauma and somebody else, you know, they were the 12th kid and somebody, everybody has completely different experiences for why they feel is how they do. Right. So me tapping on the same thing of everybody else isn't going to be relevant. It's my personal experiences mm -hmm. that make me feel this way about this subject. Right. And so good EFT is starting to tune into this experience, my emotions, where I feel it in my body, how I relate to that thing is going to be unique. I mean, people ask me, okay, I have a fear of flying. How long is it going to take to get over that? <clears throat> I'm like, I can't tell you that. I can't tell you if your fear of flying is due to your loss of fear of loss of control, fear of death, fear of something striking out of nowhere, fear of the world isn't safe, fear of the, like, you're going to have your own relationship that manifests into this particular concern and that can be different for every single person. So the individualism, the individual approach to each person is really what makes EFT most effective. I agree. I agree. And that's what makes it sometimes challenging to teach in a group because I teach an energy psychology group and yeah. while I try my best, you know, to, to kind of make it, you know, the, the, the words for everyone, uh, they're right. not going to be necessarily. Right. So. And you change it. You think, you know, we often in beginning class of like, think of something stressful that happened to you today something stressful, frustrating, annoying, because I don't want them to dive into something too deep. And think of that thing. Okay, you know, somebody cut you off on the road, somebody. So go ahead and tune in right now to your feeling about that. It's always the present tense muscle. Right now, I'm still feeling, you know, annoyed about it or whatever that is. Rate it zero to 10. Notice if you feel it anywhere in your body, if there's a somatic element to that. And so we're all going to tap it. You're going to use your word about that thing. And that's why we try to individualize it, even when we do it in a circle or a group or online um, to do it that way. Um, yeah. So that's, it is a challenge when working with groups because you have to individualize it. Exactly. Yeah. I want to shift gears a little bit and find out more yeah. about your work with matrix reimprinting. Tell us about okay. that. Yeah, that's a fascinating world. Um, so matrix reimprinting um, is was developed by Carl Dawson and Carl Dawson was one of the original EFT um, master group, so to speak. And um, he's, he's in the UK. And what I love about matrix reimprinting, I always like origin stories. How did something form? Like, I always find it interesting that, for example, Gary Craig and Francine Shapiro both came up like in the same year with EFT and EMDR, and they both lived in the same town. They didn't know each other in Sea Ranch. Mm -hmm. And it started like at the same time, like, how do you make that up, right? It, it's like these fascinating unexplainables. Um, Matrix reimprinting came out of 
Carl was working with a young woman who'd had a, a younger self, you know, a younger part of her um, that she was working with. And he was like, can you like sense her? Can you like tune into her? And she was like, she is so real. It's like, she's literally in front of me. I could reach out and I could tap on her. That's like how real she is. And he said, okay, so go ahead and do that. Mm -hmm. And so she started like tapping on her, that younger part of herself. Mm -hmm. Now, the brilliance of that moment and how it developed for me is anybody that we teach that has a big background in internal family systems or or so or brain spotting so many other tech, trauma techniques replicate um, when we start to look at parts work or anything else. It's almost as if Carl took many of these other techniques um, and put smoosh them together into this, but he didn't. He didn't have background in those. It just happened organically. And yet so many people in the fields of hypnosis and hypnotherapy and NIFS and constellation work, and they're like, wow, this is really familiar. So I, I kind of, I love that. And what it is, I just, um, we just trained somebody um, who's a, a medical doctor and trauma specialist. And she was just like, oh my God, this is like, this is life-changing. And, and had and knows many, she's actually, um, Christine Gibson, actually, she's coming out with the Modern Trauma Toolkit, is a great book that's gonna be coming out. And we were having conversations about it. And it's just, it's like, I imagine a, um, a younger part of myself that was going through some sort of adverse or traumatic event. And what it does is as I imagine this eyes open, eyes closed, and I come into and I meet that part of them when I'm able to work with that part of me, number one, it's creating some witnessing and distancing that allows me to not experience the intense, overwhelming emotions of the event because I'm actually there to help that younger part of me. Mm -hmm. Okay, so in some ways, if it's a child, you can call it kind of inner child work, which is now having its debut everywhere on social media and TikTok. Mm -hmm. and suddenly, suddenly, inner child work is everywhere again. Mm -hmm. um, so what we do in matrix reimprinting is we resource the, the client that we're in. So they're in a good place so they can go help that younger part of them that was having a challenge. And we go in there and we provide some compassionate support for them. So they're no longer alone. You know, a traumatic moment we often call an Uden moment. It's an unexpected and dramatic and isolating and not resourced moment in time. Okay. And suddenly that younger part of me that's going through that trauma now has me there to help them. So that helps. Then we do EFT tapping with them. Yes, in our imagination, energetically, however you want to imagine that. And that regulates them. Then we explore what decisions or beliefs or strategies were created because of what they just experienced. And, you know, that that poignant focus of being able to stay regulated here to help a traumatized part of me to discover, to regulate them, to resource them, and to then find out what decision and life strategy they made that often has lasted for decades afterwards, right? Because trauma, you know, is the gift that keeps giving. And it's really the beliefs of how we decide who we are, what we're capable of, the way the world is, the way it'll never be, all of those things. And then from our older and higher perspective, we can often provide wisdom and experience and evidence that's not really that way. Yes, it was then. And yes, it was valid, the decision that they made about themselves or the world based on that limited experience. But it's not the total picture. Mm -hmm. But it's like what we call the echo or that, that separated part that gets locked in time. 
And we carry those locked in time parts of us around like lenses of the glasses that we look through the world at, of the world isn't safe. And then the more we believe it isn't safe, the more evidence that we gather that that's true. So we almost start to lose the knowledge that it's a belief because it starts to feel like a fact. Mm -hmm. And what then, you know, when you start to look at the work that's um, the repulsion to compete, complete, um, I guess I'll look at it through a, a spiritual lens in a sense. It's almost like there's a part of us that sees how we've limited our world and our life and who we see ourselves to be. And there's a higher part of us that says, no, you're not only that, you're this. Remember, you're this. And it will continue to provide experiences to remind us of that. But the more, but the more, now you've got your feeling. My assistant. Yes, yes, hi, you got your assistant. Yes, he's also here. He's letting me know it's almost dinner time. (laughs) Okay, got that. Um, So, you know, it's not our fault, but there's like a higher part of us that keeps creating the opportunity to finally overcome that challenge that we didn't get to have then. But the less experience we have in overcoming, the less resources we have to overcome it again and it repeats again and again i mean so many stories i've seen over the years of just crazy you know how people have a similar you know it's like in i mean you know a good example is somebody has an alcoholic parent and they swear they'll never be around anybody that's alcoholic again and every future relationship despite everything that they do to not have that turns into that you know, there's not fault, there's not responsibility in that sense. And yet it's almost like the universe is conspiring to say, I want to give you this opportunity to finally heal this thing so you don't have to deal with this anymore. And, you know, that's the kind of, um, anyway, so trauma does that. It's the gift that just keeps giving until, and, you know, I was going to say Carl Dawson, he has a theory, you know, it's called the one belief theory, and it's just a theory, but, but I've seen it happen is that it's almost like we have one primary belief that we carry through a lifetime that just keeps teaching us. Now at the beginning, it hits us over our head like a two by four. And then as we do more healing around it, it shows up a few years later. And then it's, so rather than thinking we have to get over it and resolve it, or or we're terrible or we're bad people because we didn't resolve it. It's like, oh, there you are. There must be another elements like my inner guru my, my, my inner belief guru that says, okay, why am I not feeling good enough in this circumstance? What, what piece from my past haven't I healed yet or resolved yet that it's still showing up? Yeah. And so I think it helps just like post-traumatic resilience. You know, people say they don't want trauma and yet sometimes the greatest spiritual gifts we've ever had, people would say that got over cancer is like, no, I would not have given away that experience because it just keeps giving me. I mean, you know, Alina, my wife tells her story. It's really, so she developed um, an autoimmune condition after having a stillborn. Mm. Tried everything in the world to get over that. And it really wasn't until EFT that she did. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she'll be the first one to say, I, I would never change that life experience. It was terrible. It was, I mean, I wouldn't wish it on anybody, but, mm-hmm. you know, the post-traumatic growth that led me to the purpose of my life and the work I've done for the last 20 years came out of that. So that's where I try to have the lens of, yeah, we've experienced trauma and I'm sorry that that happened. Mm -hmm. And how can we, at the pace that a person is ready, not my pace, but their pace, be able to turn that into, you know, the poop into soil and to be able to then grow, you know, your garden from that when you're ready to do that. Yes. Um, So the potential is always there. um, And I'm sorry that we, that any of us have to go through it. 
Yeah, I'm actually right in the middle of facilitating a workshop for called From Survival to Thrival. And it's exactly looking at that. How do we get to post-traumatic growth right. when we have still, you know, active trauma triggers, when we still maybe haven't uh, established a sense of safety, when we haven't yet even acknowledged that there that these things have impacted us like there's state you, can, you can't you have to go through those stages right I mean, stages of trauma healing before you can get to this post-traumatic growth and what i love is that now we have the tools and technology to do that and eft is really one of these wonderful and it sounds like matrix imprinting re-imprinting also is you know these wonderful techniques that we can use as a as a framework to guide us toward and and help a client move through that process and i and i think I'm, I'm grateful every day that i get to be part of that for 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 folks who have suffered yeah you know it, it's wonderful and i just really I, I you know i have to acknowledge um the work that you're doing because clinically i hear all the time people that work in the addiction field that you know to work with addiction and not work with trauma you know, I don't, I don't think I've ever worked with anybody or know anybody that that is dealing with addiction that doesn't have a significant history of trauma. They're, they're almost they're coinciding. Yeah. And, um, you know, that you're bringing this to that field and that you've started to publish some papers because I truly believe um, that techniques like EFT and matrix reimprinting, and they're certainly not the only ones, um, offer a cutting edge way to work through the kind of recidivism not just the current relationship with it but just as you said it's like you know it's like pulling a weed up and just like picking the leaves off right it's like ultimately to really resolve this and to not have the weed keep coming back you're going to have to dig deeper in the root which means slower more yep. methodical taking your time getting there at a proper pace and then you know like with the matrix reimprinting and with EFT is like wow I can really think about that and it doesn't bother me I really don't have that those recurring thoughts telling me this all the time anymore it's really weird I'm kind of like getting used to being a new way in the world um and whatever technique does that is fine uh, I think that it's just that we're really seeing some of these psycho you know when we start to look at it psycho emotional energetic somatic techniques that really integrate mind and body are the ones that are leading the way especially around trauma and um because trauma kind of comes in through the body and goes out through the body to only deal with trauma in our thoughts. In my experience isn't nearly as effective. It isn't. It's only dealing with the part of the brain that is not actually involved in the trauma, <laughs> the part of the brain that was offline when the trauma occurred. So yes, that's not, and the science, you know, like we talked about earlier, the science is showing us that that is the case. So this has been such a wonderful conversation, Craig. Um, I really appreciated uh, oh, what you. we've been talking about. And so if people want to find out more about you, about your work, your trainings, where, yeah. where should they go? Yeah, um, we teach trainings in person and online. Um, EFT right now, we, uh, online about every three months. Um, so EFTtappingtraining.com, you can look at the workshops and the schedule. Um, it, EFT is a prerequisite to taking matrix re-imprinting. EFT is a prerequisite for taking tapping out of trauma. So an EFT level one and two, um, we're actually going, it looks like to, um, we do some in person. So clinics and um, different agencies will bring us in to do private trainings as well. But that's the best way. And then on the website, there's a contact form or craig at EFTtappingtraining.com. You can reach me that way. 
Um, and also, if you're looking for um, practitioners as well, the EFT International is one website. ASEP is another, um, primarily for licensed practitioners, the, um, and it's energypsych.org as well. So, um, and always happy to have consults or make referrals, and I enjoy that. Wonderful. And you have a podcast also. We do. Yeah. It's, uh, it's also on um, Apple, et cetera, iTunes. So um, EFT Nation. I mean, it's all things EFT. So that that's our focus. It doesn't go as wide as your wonderful podcast does. So we just keep it to people that are just interested in EFT. So, yeah. Wonderful. Well, again, thank you so much for being here today. Um, super grateful for the work you're doing. Um, thank you. And, and thank you so much yeah. to who's been listening and, and watching this interview. If you've liked what you've heard, please do share, comment, uh, subscribe, uh, rate it, whatever you need to do so that we can get this information out there in the hands of more people. And uh, that's me signing off for today. Thanks so much, Craig. Thank, thank you so much, Virginia. It was a pleasure. See you next time on Kaleidoscope of Possibilities, Alternative Perspectives on Mental Health. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Kaleidoscope of Possibilities, Alternative Perspectives on Mental Health. This has been Dr. Adriana Popescu. If you enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe and share with others. To find out more about me, my guests, and more, please visit my website at adrianapopescu.org. See you next time.